1: helping you find the words to create shared reality in a way that's true to yourself. Belief, gratitude, unstoppable. Belief, gratitude, unstoppable. These words come to mind when I think of my friend and special guest today. Serving in the United States Army for 30 years, he rose to one of the highest ranks as brigadier general, most recently in charge of a command of 4,000 enlisted soldiers and civilians in the Army Reserve. Tax to be ready for support globally and honor requests for disaster relief from the president he's received numerous awards including the legion of merit joint service awards distinguished star from el salvador and polish bronze medal in 2020 he retired to continue trailblazing founding not one but two organizations to guide people to be the very best versions of themselves and fulfill their aspirations He self-describes as a small-town person doing big things, and I am honored to host the founder and CEO of Embrace the Power and Power Pony Express Sports, Vince Bugs. Vince, my friend, welcome to Say It Skillfully.
2: Hey, Molly, thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate it. You know, I always love listening to your show. You always are bringing some great content, and I'm just hoping I can add some value to the show.
1: Oh, there's without a doubt, and you've added immense value to me in my life, I don't know, maybe four plus years, we've crossed paths. Um, And one of the things like your mantra, aspire to inspire, which I know you can't help but do. um, But I think that's a big part of how you've pushed yourself to grow, um, and to grow and what it means to serve. And you know, it's just every encounter with you is such joy. Um, And so before we get to what you're doing now, I'm just really grateful if you'd Help listeners get to know uh, you and, and give a glimpse of your path in life.
2: All right. So I appreciate you having me on. And, and, you know, I believe it's something Martin Luther King Jr. said many years ago, which is many years ago, which was we're all we all came on different ships, but we're all in the same boat. And so what I realized being in the military is that is it is a facet of society. Even playing sports, everything was like, you know, the remember the Titans, it's a facet of our society. And that we all have to work together to row in the right direction. But what I also realized is that, you know, you have to be inspired. And you kind of have to have some people that look like you, some people that don't look like you. And you got to take all of this knowledge that you're receiving and all of these uh, visuals and put them together so that you become a person of, of worth and a person that inspires others and you pat, play it forward. So in my journey in my life is I've watched, you know, from my grandmother, great grandmother, who was a, a a little girl during slavery coming out of that. I have watched my dad on his side of the family where they were kind of entrepreneurs and just put all that together to kind of conform to some form of how do I do my part as a selfless servant to the, the nation of the United States to do uh, some positive things to make a difference and and just you know help other people see that there's opportunities.
1: So h- hang on here. So this is so great. How do I do my part as a selfless servant? Now that seems like so. Uh, well, it sounds very flowery. It sounds fabulous. But let's get real here. How do you, you know, when you have a grandmother? out of slavery? How do you, how did that, how did that come to you? Right. Was that just like your parents were just modeling it? Like life's unfair, but we're going to give, I mean, seriously, how does that become so ingrained in who you are?
2: All right. So I, I'm, I'm glad you asked that. And, you know, I want to pay homage to Gentine yesterday um, recognizing, you know, the freedom of slavery. So my great grandmother, I uh, was a little girl that grew up during slavery and, and it was really unique to that. I had the opportunity uh, in my youth to be around her and that she held no ill will. And that's the first thing I learned is that no matter what you've been through or what you go through, you have the ability as a human being to um, push yourself past it. And so somebody said this in a book I read many, uh, actually a couple months ago, it says that to be a selfless servant and to make a difference in the world and an impact in the world, there's kind of two jobs you really need to do, but they had a list of like three, but two I took away from was one, you need to be a teacher not a school teacher, but a teacher of, of good traits. And then the other one was that you need to serve your community, be it in, in law enforcement, be it, uh, be it a uh, firefighter, be it in the military, but serve the overall human community. And so I look back now and I kind of put that comparison with my, uh, my great grandmother and my mom and this that they've always were active in the community if it was civil rights or was it working actively at the church. And so you take those traits and then I started understanding that it is very more important is my actions matter and my actions are to build a legacy and in, when you start putting those things that framework together as a human being. You really start to understand the gravity of what you are capable of and what you really need to do now is there money involved with this. Nope. Is there, uh, days you're going to have tough days where, you know, you're not going to get a lot of respect. Absolutely. But you got to stay the path and walk the path. If you truly believe that you can make everybody's day a little bit better, but just because of your existence.
1: Yeah, that's, um, that's again, it sounds great and just kind of an awe that as a young person you could go there. So talk to us just about growing up in the house siblings. What was what was it like? <laughs> Were you a studious kid, Vince? <laughs> oh,
2: I was the worst. All right. So I'm glad. All right. So I have three sisters that I grew up with and they're they all rock stars. So I was that kid that had the low GPA. I was the uh kid that was mischief, but my mom said we always you know stayed out of major troubles, which is true. But I was not a uh an academic scholar in school. And uh, the one good thing about it is I got to grow up overseas, so I got to learn German and I had I got to learn a a few different languages at the time. And, you know, but the the struggle for me was I've always was that kind of person that was a visionary, that was curious. And now my mind was always wandering. So it wasn't on math. It wasn't always on English, which I'm a terrible grammar, so I'll be the first (laughs) to admit it. Uh, But, you know, my focus was always on. On just things around me that were happening and, and they call it situational awareness and and so it's and it's really the thing that has l- kind of led me to where i was in life my mother uh is a rock star and and, and there, there's nothing i can say enough about her i'd start crying if i don't catch it because she literally laid a strong foundation is that she entered she actually uh ended generational brokenness she actually helped end a lot of things my mom got her phd at 73 and so it's kind of tell you kind of force of person she is. And she always believed in education. And she always had this thing is that you need to be able to understand the laws. You need to be understand your rights. You need to be under, understanding uh, the things that generate, you know, that happen around you. And it comes with being educated. So even though I wasn't academically scholar, I, t- I took history very seriously. And, and so that's my background deeply is I took history very seriously and I took social science very seriously. And so that kind of helped shape my perspective as I became an adult. So I always kind of had a different perspective than my peers because I started looking at things kind of more so from my, my mom's teaching. And she was a she was an authoritarian, even though she's small, <laughs> she's authoritarian. But she uh, she really laid some foundation for me and my sisters. All my sisters are successful, and um, and most of our kids are successful just because of their grandmother.
1: So you've used the word successful. Say say tell us what what's what's successful in your in your sense
2: okay and my sense of success is when you start looking at um and i'm going to use uh, it i don't hate i hate getting in data and statistics but if you actually look at african-american males um and them generating over six figures or them being ultimately successful in life you look at it where there are are certain uh, you know uh, issues you know you have uh, issues sometimes that growing up dealing with Police, you have different issues, societal issues that you deal with. You deal with growing up with biases, and an opportunity because you just—it's just the way we, were, you know, during the '80s and the '70s—that some of the things that were going on in our society—and to find success is to be able to get, break a norm of of where you live, you know, getting if it's out of the projects or uh, you know some people use the term get or whatever, or just out of the hood, as we say sometimes and making a life for yourself and then making a life for the next two generations, uh, it's not an easy task. If you, if you look at our society overall and look at the data of, of boys, African-American males in education and how they fall behind after middle school or d- during middle school. And so to get over that hump and break that paradigm and, and be successful, yeah, there's, there's some work involved and there's a lot of mentoring involved and there's a lot of uh, authoritarianism from my parents who were involved. But it's doable. But I think our society today well, kids today are just, you know, they're swamped with a bunch of different things with social media. But back then we were just swamped with the general biases and, and confirmation biases that you had to overcome, because theoretically, when I literally came through school, you got to remember when I came, was going through school, we were literally just coming out of the civil rights. So, in the 70s and 80s, we still weren't 100% integrated in America. So, we were still dealing with some of the remnants of the civil rights movement.
1: Share with us your first memory of racism.
2: I, was, I would say, see, until so all right. So, after uh, the Illman Tillman situation where the young man was murdered in Mississippi, my mother genius she's 19 years old she moves the whole family and my dad's in the military they take an assignment to germany and we literally stay in europe for like uh, a long time and and the reason why i realized that my mom was was scared for me and she didn't want anything to happen to me after she saw what was happening in the south you know with uh civil rights and, and just just different issues so my first glimpse actually is when i came back to school I actually came back when I was in college, and I was at you know Georgia Southern. Loved my school to death, but it was the first time when I was actually at a party where I actually was approached by someone saying, "Why are you at this party? It's not for everybody." <laughs> and so I I realized that there was a lot of issues, and then and then I told him, "Well, what's what's the problem with the being a party?" Because well, you know we don't like you know really don't like blacks coming to the party. And so that was my first glimpse. But at that point, I stood my ground with that individual. Cause uh, it was one of my best friends was actually having a party and then I put him in his place, but they showed me that we still had a long way to go. And that was like 1985 at that time.
1: Wow. Okay. Help listeners. You were skillful. How did you, what exactly do you recall what exactly you said when they said, <laughs> we don't like blacks at the party?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Cause I, uh, Here's the thing: is you can always uh, attack everything with a hammer, and you know my grandfather was really good at always attacking things with a pillow. And I, I clearly stated, stated to him that I'm at the university just like everyone else, and I pay my uh, I pay my tuition just like everyone else. And then, by the way, the party is being held by my friend, who's actually from Boston. And so, if he invited me, I can be there. And then, ironically, my friend Jim, Jim Chambers actually came over. And, and, you know, it's like, no, he's here because I invited him and, and, you know, you need to walk away. But, you know, you, when you stand back and you deal with that, you start to understand that, you know, we do have some societal um, ideologies that, you know, that are homegrown and we just got to work through to make the world a better place.
1: How do you think uh, you didn't internalize, you know, potentially like I'm not. Inferior. I mean, it's, it's it's easy, I think, for people subconsciously to think that. Was that ever a challenge for you? Was there ever any self-doubt?
2: Okay. And, and Molly, that's a great question. And here's the, this is where it defaults back to my mom, is I think that would have played a major role if we had a state in Louisiana and I had went through the Louisiana school system. Because of just the, the the lack of good education that was going on back in the in the 70s, and the late 60s, 70s in Louisiana when they had, they were kind of forced to integrate. Because I went to school overseas at a military school and everybody was cosmopolitan, you know, it was, it, it was the melting pot of America there on the military base. And then living off base and uh, learning to speak German and, you know, and hang out with the Germans and then living in Italy a little bit. I think I was kind of removed from that self-conscious thing because i didn't have anyone calling me the n-word going through you know walking the street i didn't i was never attacked by being an african-american so i was actually able to just grow up being just I, i hate to use the term a normal kid without biases i didn't really see biases until we came back to america wow
1: sisters experience similar
2: you know, the girls are, I think my sisters are a little bit different is, is because I think one of my sisters kind of felt some in college when she went to a, 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 her university. But overall, when I kind of talked to them, they, they have dealt with things, but it's it's kind of in a different format because their lives were a little bit different. They were academically high on the list. They were in different circles and and they're in the introverted so they mm-hmm. kind of didn't socialize a lot they were very you know stovepiped and in uh focused on what they were doing career-wise and i, I know it sounds coy but they they were the kind of people that they were around people that were academics that they were high high achievers with academics so they're they're in a different circle i was kind of running in that mid-range circle of society and some people that you know were still trying to struggle to say stay in college and and those that were, so I was kind of in what I would say, the general population of college, of ever, everything, because I was definitely not hanging around any high academic achievers.
1: (laughs) So I know you have great fondness for Georgia Southern. How did you end up picking, you're in Germany, you come back, how did you end up going through the, how, what, you know, what school you picked, and then your studies, and um, how that all happened?
2: All right, well, I started out at Louisiana Tech, so I actually went to Germany, I went to College in Germany first, but then I transferred to uh, Louisiana Tech. I was there one semester, had great grades, uh, but I didn't like the school. And it's not that nothing personal against lot Tech or Louisiana Tech, but at the time that it was, there was, it was so much segregation. Like you go into the cafeteria and the, the, the blacks would sit on one side, the whites would sit on one side. It was just, you could just, it was just, a, the air was just full of just, you know, hard, hardcore still segregation, even though the school was integrated. Uh, to some degree. And so I was, I had a friend going to school at Georgia Southern. They said, oh, you love Georgia Southern. You want to come down and visit. So uh, I left Louisiana Tech for a while, transferred, went to Georgia. And then I tra- went down to Georgia Southern to visit, fell in love with the campus, fell in love with the atmosphere and met some great people. And at that point I transferred to Georgia Southern Um, I will honestly tell you, Dr. Charles Thomas changed my life. He told me that I was a person of value, that I could do anything I want as long as I apply myself. Will there be bumps in the roads? Absolutely. But he was like the best college professor. He was that, uh, that, oh yeah, college professor that you get. That you go, wow, you know, I'm 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 a different person. I can be somebody. He was that guy that put that instilled that in me going forward in my life. And to this day, I talk to him and I thank him all the time for him coming into my life and him and Miss Helen Yates. I thank them both on a regular basis.
1: So powerful. And to our listeners, just know that sometimes you don't even realize the impact you can have on someone with one or two lines. And um, That notion that someone may believe in me, even though I might not yet believe in me, is really not to be underestimated. Because I've heard this over and over and over. Um, How about like so the the military? How did this? I mean, you obviously grew up with the whole military um, background. Was that something you knew even before you went to college? You wanted to pursue Vince?
2: Hell no! I quit. Hey, I I quit ROTC twice. Let's let's be clear. I was. I was a kid that wore holy jeans, rode a skateboard, and I was going to refuse to go into military at all costs because I was just like, it's not happening. And so there was a man named Mr. Weatherford that saw me every day riding my skateboard, and he would call me most horrible names today. They would be totally politically incorrect names and he would say you know he goes you know you could be great but you don't want to be in the military because you're scared to be in the military and he would threaten me every day he'd see me on my skateboard so finally I had enough and it was like after the second time after I got out of ROTC I finally said all right you know what I'll do it I'll come back I'll take the class and then it was the best thing so the third time I came back I signed up got an ROTC and um and then I stayed and then one day, I'll never forget this moment, he he walks up to me and I, and I go, look, I said, look, I'm at like the bottom of the list of guys achieving in here. I said, he, I said, I'm at the bottom. He goes, yeah, but he goes, but you'll be the one that makes general. And I said, what are you talking about? He goes, he goes, academics is not all about life. He goes, you got to have social skills. He goes, you have the social skills. You just got to pass your test on the academic side and you're going to be okay. And I'll never forget those words by uh, Master Arm Woodfield when he said that. And I was very young at the time. And then I just stayed with it, stayed with it. And um, things kind of worked out, you know, and I couldn't believe <laughs> I had to eat crow when I ran into him uh, years later and say, you were right. I know. But at the time I couldn't see it, but him believing in me and seeing something in me uh, when I'm like 20, 20 years old, it, it, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of dumbfounding actually.
1: Well, uh, it's, it's you. So he saw, he was able to see through to the true you, which is, which is outstanding. And so I don't know what, what it's like after you you're in ROTC and you're coming out of college. So what's the decision-making if any, in terms of what you do after graduating? Oh,
2: okay. Yeah. You know, God, 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 I had to use that because, you, you you think you know what you want and then you don't get it. And so the best thing ever happened to me was the thing that I, I wanted, I thought I wanted to go active duty and I was like, yeah, I want to be active duty. And I didn't get it cause I didn't have the, I didn't score a high enough score to get active duty. So I got reserves. So everybody's like, Oh, you got reserve duty. That that's terrible. I'm like, yeah, whatever. And so I, I start this path in the reserves, but the good thing about it is I got to go work a civilian job for like five years before I picked up, I got picked up for active duty. And while I was doing the civilian jobs, I learned so much about people because you're I worked in a gym, I worked uh, on, on on base doing different things. And then I started teaching school. And so I started learning so much about our society just from a different perspective. And then I went active duty. So honestly, I think that five years prior to me going active duty actually helped me be a better leader when I got into the military because I understood our society a lot better because I had that that five years of crash course of uh, of just understanding the civilian
1: world. So just as a segue, for those of us who have not lived the military life on a base and, and you've been in both parts of society, perhaps just educate us a little bit, like what's it like to live and you know have a life on a military base versus a full-on civilian life?
2: All right, so the two in the, the comparison, the military base is so, re- everything's regimented. You know, you your time is kind of already... Uh, framed for you, you kind of know what you're going to do, and you know the the rules and the restrictions in civil society. Uh, if you have a neighbor that lives across from you that you can't get along with, there's nobody going to get involved. You know, if your neighbor doesn't cut his grass and, you, and you're making the property value go down, you're upset. And some people out there know what I'm talking about. You just stand there and, you you know, you become that grumpy old person that lives across the street from the person that doesn't want to take care of the yard. But in the military, everybody has to cut the yard. Everything's just right dressed. So you get into this false sense of beautiful community. But when you leave the base and definitely after you retire, you have to make a lot of adjustments. Adjustments to society, because a lot of people in society live their life and they may not live according, according to the way you think they should live. So you have to actually adjust your personality and accept people for who they are and how they want to you know, predicate their lives. And, and I think for a lot of people, when they retire, they live close to military bases. I don't, but they live close to military bases because they like to be around a lot of more military people. So me, I you know, I just jump back in society and 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 go with the flow.
1: <laughs> wow. So, um, how does your five years of the reserve, and then does someone tap you on the shoulder? Are you applying? Just help us with you know, I call this career pathing in the military. How does it work?
2: Well, what happened was I didn't even know you could go active duty from the reserves. I was in the reserves and working a civilian job, and being in the reserves and somebody came in one day and it says, uh, I had to go get an evaluation done. And I never forget. I can't remember this Colonel's name, but I walk in and he looks at me and he goes, um, I'm going to give you a bad OER. If you don't uh, apply for active duty. And I go, and he's joking, but I'm like, why, sir? And he goes, you really need to be active duty. And I need you to apply for it. And I was like, oh, okay. I said, I didn't get picked up. He goes, I don't care. Apply. So I actually applied for it. And i um, like, three, four weeks later, I get a phone call. Hey, you've been picked up and you a report for active duty. And I kind of looked at him and he winked at me and he's like, yeah. And you know, it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. He says, you do more work as a uh, off duty as a reservist that doesn't get paid for doing work. I said, but I learned a work ethic is if you're going to uh, do something. If you're going to be a ditch digger, if you're going to be a construction worker, be the best at whatever you do. Even when I worked at McDonald's, I got praised all the time because I was like one of the best burger flippers <laughs> there were. But it's, it's a work ethic that's instilled to you, instilled in you by your parents. And you know, it doesn't matter what you do, just be good at what you do. And And that's why I took that when I went on active duty, I kind of just applied that and I put people first. That is the, the biggest thing a part of my life is always remembering my mom says pay it forward, put people first. And are people always gonna be trustworthy, true to you? No. But that's all right. That's why you have forgiveness and keep moving.
1: <laughs> wow. Your mama, what uh she's a rock star. She's a force of nature. We love her. Wow. So what was the shift to active duty like? Um, at first it
2: was, it was actually hard. My first tour was hard, um, because I had to adjust to, uh, personalities more so and more so. And, you know, I wish you had been around back then because I started listening to you in in my latter career, but if you'd have been around back there in the early nineties, I could have used you. Um, there was a lot of, uh, stereotypes and we were going through a thing in the military called consideration of others. And, uh, don't ask don't tell and so we're going through all these 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 processes that we're trying to uh be, make it more accepting because at one point being in the officer corps, and I don't know a lot of people don't realize the officer corps is predominantly uh white male and so with me transitioning in, there's so many times I was the only african-american officer uh on the staff and so some days were challenging is because you you have to kind of try to relate to other people but other people don't have to relate to you so and and so I always tell the story is that there are times in your life that you're forced to always modify your behavior because you're the only one in the room and sometimes that becomes stressful sometimes that becomes uh wearing and so my first tour was really wearing is because I could say the same thing that someone else says, but it was taken in a different light just because I said it or is that in my perspective wasn't as important as someone else's because we were going through uh, trying to tear down old social norms. So, Molly, uh, there were some challenges on my first uh, three years in the military.
1: (laughs) Well, so was it to a point where you're like, I can't do this? Was it something that started to, you know, wear on you? not just emotionally and physically, or did you somehow just keep the faith?
2: All right. You know, it did wear on me. I'm not going to even sidestep it. It wore on me. Uh, There were moments I literally would go home and go, Why am I putting myself through this? But there was some default mechanism of having a degree in history. And and I would default back to, and I hate you, you know, no, I do. I, I use this all the time. I said, if, I said, think about the number of slaves that came over on a slave ship and how many survived. And I said, at least two people or one person survived so I could be born. I owe it to that person or whoever that individual was that survived all that, not being able allowed to read, not being able to be free. And that person, I owe my wholehearted life to those individuals to respect them. So what I'm going through is minor compared to what they went through. And so I would always default back in the back of my mind to that that, that visual and that idea and say, you know what, I'm going to survive this. I'm going to hold on. I'm going to fight through it. And I did. and, And it, and it worked out for me. A lot of people would quit because they don't have a default mechanism to say, you know, you know, there's this, there's this driving force that I need to be able to hold serve when things are when I'm struggling. And believe it or not, that was my default mechanism of always thinking that somebody's always had it worse than I did. I had a soldier that went from, Uh, uh, Cambodia during the late 70s. He lost his whole family during the the, uh, Khmer Rouge. And he walked to get to the the Philippines, take a boat to the Philippines, got to the United States, and became a master sergeant in the United States Army, knowing that behind him he had lost his whole family, saw all this bad, and yet here he is now. And so I was kind of looked at when I heard him speak all the time Just think about, you know, you have to, there's points in all of our lives that we have to uh, default to something to realize that, you know what, what I'm going through ain't as bad as what some other people have been through and I can get through this.
1: So inspiring. Um, Particular people that stand out who perhaps were supportive or stepped in to help you amplify your lone black voice uh, through that?
2: Oh yeah, you know there was there were people like uh General Mark Hurtley and there's people like uh General Andre Peggy but there more importantly it was the enlisted soldiers the junior enlisted soldiers that I work with like the 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 Ed Johnsons uh the uh, just there's a, the net, the list is long I, I I could be here all day have these junior enlisted that just constantly would pat me on my back, say, never give up. And they came from all walks of life, all flavors, even even uh, female soldiers. They would just, you know, they would constantly say, hey, sir, stay, keep your head up. You know, they saw me put my head down. Hey, I need you to pick your head up. I need you to, you know, stay the course. I need you to stay strong. And, and it was those people that made me realize that, you know, you can do a lot of things with a lot of, a lot of help if you have people in your corner that support you and, uh, and believe in you. And it's sometimes some of the people at the very top don't believe in you, but you know that sometimes somebody under you does because that kind of makes a difference. So I had this great thing I like to tell people is that we used to say this is that you make a mark on, on this world is like if you meet somebody and like 20 years pass and you don't see that person. And then all of a sudden you're walking down the street and if you're on the same side of the street and they cross cross over the street not to speak to you. You didn't make an impact on that person. If that person walks up, hugs you, and, and gives you a high five and, and tells you 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 made an impact in their life, you're doing the right thing. Well, I hate to say I've shook more hands than people have crossed the street on me in my lifetime. And so that kind of is my been my sounding board of being those times when I was the Lone Ranger, is that I always knew that there I could work harder to be for the greater good.
1: So inspiring. Vince, talk to us about personal life. <laughs> busy <laughs> oh busy well you
2: know my personal life is great i have five girls i have two stepdaughters and then and then i have uh two myself and then we have the 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 uh hers mine and the in an ours thing going on there mm-hmm. and uh and so we're, we're about to be empty nesters now she's heading off to college so my personal life has taken off since i retired because i started teaching and i love it teach history and then i Ran, I started running, running two companies. I run Embrace the Power, which is uh, it's about inspiration, motivation, but it's more so about talking to impactful people like yourself, uh, and people that are trying to make a positive difference. There's so much negative out there. There's no, there's no shortage of getting on there and getting negative podcasts or negative information. There's not a shortage. So that's why I like your show so much. Just to you know, be tr- truthful about it, I like to hear some positivity. And then I Embrace the Power is a company that. I've stood up and I'm working through. So over the next couple of years, we're hoping to build a, get a facility to help underprivileged uh, student athletes. They can't afford to go, you know, and you were talking about tennis, but play sports, what we call the elite sports, because their parents just can't afford them. So our goal is to start helping those kids in those neighborhoods, the student athletes in those neighborhoods, be able to play sports, That they normally can't afford to play because like soccer even though it's cheap to play soccer it's expensive to be in soccer and so um, try to help those kids navigate those waters and put them in positions where they actually can compete and play in sports that are kind of out of their reach right now just due to finances
1: extraordinary on that the i don't want you to just just jump over the family thing though but you know meeting your wife (laughs) <laughs> kind of navigating the balancing i mean that's got to be a lot of growth and you know here you are committed to your work and serving so talk to us about how how you you know managed all that because i know oh i
2: didn't manage it i didn't you know. Uh, no, I didn't manage anything. Cheryl managed to, all that. See, <laughs> see, because yeah, because me being in the military, she had to you know hold the fort down when I was uh, I was gone, and and so you know I, she's a she's a military brat. Her dad was in the military, and we met at the gym naturally because you know I like to work out, and so you know she's so she's done a great job. And honestly, I had to give a lot of homage to her because she she's held the the fort down while I was gone. She's managed everything. Um, and she keeps, you know, and she's just the ultimate of, you know, try to uh, to organize and keep things in, in some crazy disarray. And then when I come home, I have to revert back to Vince and not general because <laughs> I'm not in charge of anything and, uh, and respect that zone that, you know, she set a foundation in the house and that that foundation is, you know, it's her roost. And I just fall in line with the rest of the little chickens and we just (laughs) run around (laughs) because you know you you got to think about it being in a military family that it's a struggle and so to all the spouses out there be it male or female hey you know you guys uh you guys rock you guys do so much when service members are away and you and you and you don't get enough credit for it and there's no pay involved I mean, so I just uh, give a shout out to all those uh, military spouses out there that just, you know, do incredible things on a regular basis while someone's deployed. So, you know, and I had two deployments. So you got to think, one point, I was gone 15 months almost to pre-deployment and deployment, and then I was gone 12 months. So, you know, there was a lot of uh, times that she, she literally had to navigate uh, a lot of waters without me being absent, Molly.
1: Ooh, for Cheryl. Way to go. <laughs> Cheering for you all the way. Um, this deployment when you go and come back, I just imagine coming back you know changed changed for the better Can you share a bit about maybe some of the personal epiphanies as you you know went for long periods and then returned home?
2: Yeah you know I, I, I will tell this to anyone if you are struggling with anything go get help. I mean I have my moments don't get me wrong because I was I, I lost a really good friend in my first tour uh, and so the the struggles, uh, that you go through, and my, uh, this is great. I'm glad you kind of asked me this. My dad, you know, he went, he fought in Vietnam. He never talked about it. Never would bring it up at all. And the only time he ever talked about going to Vietnam was when he, um, when he found out I was heading to Ambar, and when he found out I was heading to Ambar Province where all the fighting was going on, he literally came by the house, drove like ten hours to the house, sat. And it shocked the heck out of me. I didn't even see, know he was coming. And he just wanted to talk. And we talked. And, and the last words I'll never forget is I'm getting ready to pack my gear and get ready to get out the door. He's like, don't be a hero. And I said, like, I want to be a hero. He goes, "Now nah, you don't know how to do anything else. And I said, well, I'm not. And so, you know, I went on my tour. And when I came back, it's it's like you don't look at society the same way. You don't look at any situation the same way you step back and you kind of look at people in a different light and situations. So like my wife says, you're always calm about everything. Well, yeah, cause I don't have anyone shooting at me. I said, I said, I've already seen the worst of mankind. I said, and I've been around the world, so I've been to a lot of countries, but I've seen the worst of mankind and I've seen the good of mankind. And I kind of focus nowadays more on the good and I really don't get wrapped around um what I call minor craziness uh, of our society anymore because there's there so much work to be done For the next generation to have a better life that, you know, as Gen Xers, we got to do a better job because right after my mom always says this right after civil rights, we didn't do a good enough job as Gen Xers to carry the ball down the road to make our society a little bit better because everybody got comfortable. They got money, you know, so after going to war, I've decided definitely that I need to do a lot better as a human being for our society every day to do my part, Molly.
1: Well, I appreciate you taking us there because I'd love to spend some time, you know, in your world. And I've just, you know, I love the fact that you, you see the reality, but you take a positive stance for what you can be empowering yourself to empower others. So what are some of the things that you think really hold us back? Is it about leveling the playing field or learning to play on an unlevel field? I would love your thoughts on that.
2: All right. Well, here's we can never level the playing field. And, and I wish that we could but let's be real. They're just the way things are in our society way, you know, everybody's different. You can never, you're never going to please everybody. But I think the things that we can do as a society is that we have, to, and I don't get political at all. Well, I think things in our society is that we need to adjust is we need to elect good leaders that, that believe in uh, the people. And then, and then people need to step back and not look at their neighbors as, as they always the a problem or enemy, but maybe break bread. We don't break bread with our neighbors anymore and just say, hey, how are you doing? Some people do, don't get me wrong, so I'm not generalizing, but as a society and looking at the, the, just the split in our society, you kind of have to shake your head and wonder, you know, and honestly, and I'll touch on the one thing that bothered me over the last couple, uh, since last year was the attack on on Asian Americans. Then we had the attack on LGBT community and all these other different attacks on different things. It's telling me, that as a society we, we need to do some uh, soul searching as human beings and get back to the uh, human network and the land the playing field starts with education, it starts with the even if you want to level the playing field everybody has to have access to good education but we also got to have good information going out and we have to have more positive. Uh, Things being pushed on social media to help this next generation because they are so engrossed in social media. So when people always ask that this question is, how how do we fix things? Well, we start with a one generation of that. We're going to make sure everybody kind of gets the same uh, education in the same footing, which means they get the same tutoring, they get the same, we got to just change the dynamics. And it, 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 and it goes back to Nelson Mandela, you know, uh, you can't exercise your rights unless you know your rights and you can't know your rights unless you're educated. So we, we've got to go back to the grassroots of our society and and put some things back in schools like courtesy class, home economics, <laughs> you know, it sounds stupid, but etiquette class actually was a good class you know and we got rid of
1: it i'm totally with you and i think that this what what this is for folks listening it's just it's fairly easy to point the finger well over there they need to do that and that may be true i think if folks can all can do to model that for others and to control the controllables and i feel often a sense of despair from people, like, oh, hands up in the air, they'll never change, you know, and the the thinking, (laughs) people are looking at you thinking you're never going to change either, you know? So there is, you know, a a bit of humility slash vulnerability involved with taking that step in to just be willing to try to hear something that you just can't imagine you could relate to, but, you know, find a way. I appreciate bringing up this notion that we've got to meet everyone's got to take a step in, you know, we can't just be looking at the other side, waiting for them. we could waiting a really long time. Um, okay. I just realized in time, Vince, I would love to go to the say it skillfully part of the show. Okay. Uh, tough conversation you have or had. All right. I think it, it wasn't a tough conversation
2: as much as it was the, uh, the nonverbal communication piece. And, and I, and I took a lot of, you know, before I ran into this, it, I came in involved with this individual, I had listened to a lot of your things. And then I quickly learned that I was trying to have a meeting with my boss and I was constantly struggling with this one part, Molly, and I'll I'll touch on this, is that my boss had an idea. But I was in a situation where they didn't know what they wanted, but they knew, they didn't know what they wanted, but they know what they wanted if they saw it. But to try to walk the dog through it was uh, kind of impossible for me because I had, I had. how do you always say? They usually, always the term is. Even though I was projecting, hey, this is what I think we need. I had too many uh, naysayers on both sides of me, so I felt like I was the in the in the queen or the king's court. But I had too many other lords from the uh, other uh, communities. Oh no, no, no! So they were always jumping on the board with with whatever idea that they would have. Even though there were mo- multiple times I believed I had the right idea, and that was hard to uh navigate that situation or even effectively impact that situation due to the fact that you kind of are on the outside of what they we would use the term good old boy club or the inner circle i I was really never part of the inner circle so it made my my life very hard to try to and to get into that that circle without consuming myself or giving giving a piece of myself which was not genuine so I would have loved your advice on when you're in those situations because a lot of people face those situations where the, you can't modify your behavior because it takes away from who you really are.
1: Yes, yeah, thank you so much for bringing this up, Vince, and this notion of the club, the inner circle. And it can be, you know, it, it's real and it can be a fact that just limits you. We can, however, not let it impact how we come across. So the sense of just frustration and just, Grr, right? That's not helpful. It's I, totally valid. I get it. But I think the ability to let it go and saying an acceptance of, Hey, this is what it looks like. There's kind of an in and an outer I'm in the outer. I got that. So that's good to know and not pretend. And I think this gets to the relational versus the issue or the task at hand. And to the extent that you can create some kind of bond connection with someone on the inner circle to advocate to kind of help pull you along can be a way to work that. So oftentimes we're focused on the answer, Vince, you probably had the right answer, the way to go better for everybody clearly to you, but other folks are, are kind of looking at you from a relational standpoint, we're well, not really sure he's one of us, you know, we don't really, and so it becomes kind of a street cred issue. And so acknowledging it, also staying high, knowing it's not really you, We have to have compassion for people who aren't able to kind of see you and see the idea for what it's worth that's okay feel sorry for them but then say hey i could feel sorry for myself or i could try to create break some bread with someone who might be in the circle and just share and 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 try to create a connection and and make a step forward maybe you're not going the whole yard down the field the way you'd want but you can take a positive step and feel great about that so it might be a bit about changing the goal um, and focus, focusing on the relational part, how, how does that land for you?
2: No, no, that lands that lands great because in the end, you know, I uh, I made some uh, strategic decisions that were actually better for me in the long run. But I learned, I took a, a lot from that situation, you know. And I thought about all the things of, you know, how do you say things? How do you uh, approach things? And then you realize at some point in your life, sometimes, and and I, this goes out to anyone. There are times you are gonna uh, row uphill. Uh, in a sandbox and you're not going to get anywhere. And and those are the times you have to kind of make some strategic decisions in your own life to how, how you're going to predicate going forward. You know, and, and that I just put that out there, Molly.
1: Yeah, you're a spot on. And I, I want to ask, because you really do seem genuinely able to take the input and, and folks' thoughts, not over-personalize it, you know, take what works for you. How did you um, how did you learn that? What is hard for you now? And I know you've been in, you know, life and death situations, so maybe nothing is really hard, but I I am curious.
2: (laughs) All right. So, I mean, for me right now, what I take away now is that I, I, I really lean on the prayer of serenity, you know, I can't change everything that I want. And there's, there's going to be times. And I, my younger years, I used to would get frustrated and and I'd have, you know, have some form of emotional uh, moment about, you know, when I wasn't being heard. Eventually, I, I, I kind of as I got older, I just kind of, you know, dial back. And, and after I've been through a lot of situations, naturally, I started realizing that if I can't, you know, I can only do so much to what extent Vince's powers. And once I understood what my parameters were, that's when I would go to the, to the limit of my parameters. And at that point i would back down and 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 you know just move forward a lot of people sometimes they 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 look at everything that happens to them as a failure and that's not the way to look at it i stopped looking at every time that somebody pushed back on me or didn't go my way as a failure i started looking at more as a okay this is not the way, you know, the thousand, you know, the thousand light bulb thing. All right. I tried a thousand ways and the light bulb didn't turn on yet. So I just, you know, you, you change your path and you do something different. But so many people get caught up with that first no that they don't ever try the other 99 way, 999 ways to try to turn that light bulb on
1: yeah that's so uh, that's just I mean we all know failures, quote unquote learning moments that's where we grow and I, I know people nod their heads. It's just sometimes hard to do in the moment. and um, you know I, I know you're so moved by in your organizations. you know this going to private sector, you know starting your own um, companies, what's been the biggest shift for you?
2: <laughs> the biggest shift is taxes, you know having <laughs> to learn how to do. I just got done turning all my taxes in for my company and and I was like, Oh my God, you know, my podcast is doing great. I have, uh, I have, you were on it. I have, you know, great people calling me now getting on the show, coming on the show. Um, it's, it's been, uh, it's the challenges being organized, you know, because you got to remember when I was in the military, I actually had somebody (laughs) working for me, doing things for me. So the first year of running my company, I had to adjust to trying to do things on my own. Now, I did hire my daughter, Jasmine, to be my uh, executive assistant because I needed some help. And she's doing a great job since she got out of college. But overall, I'm going to tell you, Molly, it was an adjustment um running a company and then having to sit down and do you know the 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 paperwork for taxes and all that trust me I, I literally was beating my head on the table like two weeks ago so i'm just gonna be clear i'm not gonna even sidestep that one i'm just gonna be honest i wanted to baptize my
1: hand in my own tears girl uh, i can totally see it uh, share with listeners the links or places they could go to learn more about what you're doing Vince
2: okay so i do a lot of speaking engagements and so if you want to reach out to me I, I just got done speaking at georgia southern naturally and then at south georgia college and and i'll be speaking at msc in california which is an industrial company for veterans day um but if you want to reach out to me i'm on embracethepower.org that's my um that's my uh, website you can go to and also you can check me out on my my twitter handle at bugs now it's b-u-g-g-s-n-o-w or hit me up on Instagram or TikTok, which is uh, at EmbraceThePower28. All those platforms, you can reach out to me. Um, I do a lot of speaking engagements right now. My calendar is a little bit thick, but I have no issue because I work. Uh, I'm very cost effective, especially if it's a high school or a university or um, um, organizations that are need some help, even correctional for youth. I definitely work out with them so that I don't that I'm not going to break that bank because the message needs to be about not about money It needs to be about trying to change some lives. And so aspire to inspire as I always say, you know,
1: <laughs> yeah, you you are a rock on that. Let, let's take it to a wrap here. And I want to lean into a little bit of Vince um, personal growth. Most proud moment of your career thus far.
2: Um, you know, birth of your children is always important. I think my most proudest moment is when I received the distinguished star from El Salvador, didn't expect it. Uh, and I didn't even, and, and it was in a combat zone, but the, the question was, all I did was acquire equipment for their the forces to be able to support the mission, which they hadn't been able to get for like a year and a half or whatever, until I got there. And and I asked the guy when they were giving me the award, the Joint Chief of Staff from El Salvador was putting it on me. I was like, why? I didn't do anything. He goes, he goes, you you cared. That's why you cared. He goes, and that's that's I was doing my job. He goes, no, doing your job is pushing paperwork. You cared. And that's why we have the equipment. And, and, and I, that was powerful. I, I to this day I still think about it.
1: Oh, so amazing. Vince, what you've talked a lot, a lot, a lot. If you think about outside and listening to yourself, what was the top, your own top takeaway from our chat?
2: Our whole top takeaway from our chat today was that words matter, and and how you frame things, and how you see the world, and see yourself uh, when you step back that's where we need to really do a self-evaluation and then maybe we can uh, level the playing field because that thought that was one of the most powerful questions in this discussion was how do we actually level the playing field and and make a difference
1: yeah um and then you know what was it like for you i know you you're on a lot of podcasts but what was it like for you to share your journey today
2: oh i love it yeah anytime i get to talk to you is a, a, a blessing in disguise you know uh you're, Molly, you know, not to blow your, you know, to, toot your horn, but you you had more of an impact on me than you ever know. I listened to probably about five or six of your shows about three years ago. And um, I really, really got into things you were saying, and it was impactful. And then that was when you were kind of just, I guess, really kind of really starting out. So I appreciate you. Even having me on here, it's an honor. But the thing is, I think you don't realize the impact you're having on the people that you, uh, when you post stuff on LinkedIn, or you just post stuff out there that you're having on other people. Because I actually push your name out to a lot of people. So I, I want to say thanks to you. All
1: right. Listen, my friend, you rock. I'm grateful for you. Your go get make it happen. Energy cannot be denied. I, I appreciate your sharing. Um, I appreciate your service to the country and helping ignite our hearts and minds to be our very best selves. And, you know, I'm going to thank you for doing more than your fair share and being part of the solution. Vince, you take good care.
2: All right. Thank you too. You guys have a great day.
1: So my thought for the week is twofold. One from Vince care. And the second from none other than Muhammad Ali service to others is the rent you pay for your room here on earth. And that is a wrap. Thank you for tuning in. Please be part of the solution and kindly share this show. Amplify Vince's voice. Reflect on your top takeaways. And know I'm cheering for you to be who you are and say what needs to be said so that you and those around you have a shared reality essential to make the best decisions, execute with speed and achieve outstanding outcomes at work and in life.